Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe, and this is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. And today is no exception. We have a great person from the world of real estate, none other than Kathy Fetke. She's an educator. She's a TV and news personality, and she's an amazing personality in her own right. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I don't know if I've ever been called notable. I appreciate that. You know, Kathy, we've got to know each other over the past couple of years, and you're based in Southern California, and yet you invest all over the country. I know a lot of investors have a lot of doubts and trepidation about that. How did you pull that off? Well, having been born and raised in California, most Californians don't understand uh, two really important words in real estate. It's not something they've ever seen. It's this foreign, it's basically cash flow. <laughs> it doesn't exist in California. So when we learned about it, 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 it you, you have to go invest somewhere else. You have to learn about how to do it because otherwise you will be negative cash flow. And Rich and I did experience the wonders and joys of negative cash flow. <laughs> and we decided never to do that again. I think Rich was the one looking at our books saying, oh, this is great when your properties are gaining $100,000 in value every year you can handle a little negative cash flow. It's when that's not happening, when values are going down and the cash flow is negative, it's a terrible position to be in. You've got a radio show, you've got a couple of podcasts, you've put together a fairly large network of both listeners and followers. How has that played into your whole ecosystem for, for investing? Well, my whole process has been somewhat by accident. I started a podcast because I was desperate to learn. And it turns out, there were other people out there who wanted to learn what I was learning as well. So I was able to create a forum for people to be almost able to eavesdrop into the conversations of, of highly successful investors. I mean, it started with people like Robert Kiyosaki back in the mid-2000s when a lot of things weren't making sense to me. I was too new to know exactly what it was, but it was that cash flow problem. That I'm, I'm looking around thinking people are buying these properties with no money down. There, there's no cash flow or negative. How does that make sense? Especially when they were interest-only loans, they weren't paying off their, their notes. Um, so anyway, how has it played in? We, we built an audience. I wasn't trying to build it. It's just that I wanted so desperately to understand the business. And from that, we have 36,000 investors now within our network. And uh, it just keeps growing. It's international. So that's allowed us to pool investments and be able to acquire things that none of us could have done on our own because there may be 10, $20 million deals. Not everyone has that in their pocket, but people might have 50,000 or 100,000. So we can get into deals that we would not be able to otherwise. So you started out in single family homes and then transitioned into larger projects and even development as well. What was the impetus to make that transition? Well, we still very much believe in single family home investing. A lot of multifamily people don't understand why they, they don't they, they want more doors and they, they like different kinds of loans, but we still are big believers in single family because there are a lot of people out there who prefer to live in a single family home. It's a different kind of tenant. It's easier to sell. Uh, at, you can sell at retail, whereas if you have a multifamily, it's going to be sold to an investor. So it, it's just a different game. And, and generally, there's more appreciation. Of course, it just depends on the property. So we still absolutely help people get into single-family homes. Sometimes it's their first investment. It's something they can understand. There's so much to learn just from that. 
we're still very, very much involved in the single family home market and helping people find the best markets poised for growth that also have cash flow today. But then in 2010, a developer came to us and said, you know, we're finding, he was basically finding the most amazing subdivisions that just went under during the recession and we could pick them up for almost nothing. So he said, if you can, our first deal is like, hey, can you raise $3 million because we can get this waterfront project in Portland for about a tenth of of the value. I said, I don't know, let's try. And we went to our members and sure enough, we were able to raise that $3 million in about an hour because the deal was so good. So we just kind of keep doing that, <laughs> finding great deals that, again, would be untouchable. Who, who among us would, at that time in 2010, had $3 million? But did we have 60 people that had some money? Yeah. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And so today we're experiencing is there's still a lot of opportunity. There's also a lot of competition. There's a lot of multiple offers and things like that, especially in the multifamily arena. Are are you experiencing that or are you still finding a lot of great opportunities? I am not a multifamily expert and I only see what I see, which is a lot of people settling for very low cap rates, which scares me a lot for them, especially if they're getting into short-term loans that will balloon. We can pretty much guess that there's a chance that interest rates would be higher in five or 10 years. What will they do if their cap rate was already low? Now they're NOI is, you know, once they have to get a new note and that interest rate is higher, that's going to affect their NOI. That's going to affect the value of the property. They may have to pour millions of dollars into the property to get another loan. So I'm concerned for a lot of people who are taking the leftovers and not waiting for the right deal. And, And so you just, in this market, you've got to know your strategy and stick to it. Because too many people say, well, shoot, there's no six caps out there, so I'll take a four cap. You know, <laughs> like that can get you in trouble. However, in land development, there is actually a, a desperate need for that because there is a lack of housing out there, there's a lack of affordable housing. And if we can go in and get a great deal on land and build and provide what's needed, which is housing, then, uh, then our investors can profit from that really, really well. I mean, the profits can be enormous. We give a 15% preferred return on those, and with the back-end profit, it can be in the 20s and even 30% uh, IRR. But even on land, we only work with developers who have tremendous experience, 30, 40 years experience. They know market cycles, and we only pay cash. So we raise enough money to acquire the land and build out so that we're not stuck in a loan that could come due that will get us in trouble. So you are playing it safe. But when you can come in with cash and you can find other people who didn't play it safe, so they got into some kind of note that they have to pay off, they're in trouble, we can come in and uh, fix their problem and get a good deal. I I align with that philosophy really, really strongly because, you know, of course, land does not cash flow unless it's a parking lot, perhaps, but generally land doesn't cash flow. And like you said, getting into a long-term commitment with a short-term note, especially in an uncertain environment uh, where interest rates are clearly on the rise. I mean, this, the Fed, uh, the new chairman of the Fed, signaled at the most recent meeting that interest rates will go, go up at least two more times this year. And then the outlook for 2019 is another three rate increases. So we are definitely headed into higher interest rates. 
It, it concerns me that people who are investing their life savings, I mean, we've got a lot of Americans who have spent 20, 30 years building what they have, and they don't understand the basics of, of economics. And they're gambling. They're gambling with their nest egg, with their life savings. They spent their entire, they spent years building only to have it disappear. So the, the most important thing people need to pay attention to is what the Fed is doing. And they don't know, they don't know. But when the Fed is raising rates, there is a specific reason for that. And the reason is to slow down the economy. So if you're pouring your money into the stock market, when you know our central bank is trying to slow things down, trying to reduce the bubbles, or at least slow them down, which could could eventually burst some of those bus bubbles, you don't want to be in that bubble. And yet, who is most of America with their life savings? That's exactly right. In fact, they're telling you very directly, folks, there's a bubble here. Pay attention. And they're correcting it. Get out. Get out of that bubble. And, and instead, what happens is all that people see is that there's been a run-up. And they think, well, there's going to be more because so-and-so just made a bunch of money in the last 10 years. I want that. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's funny because I grew up in the world of stocks and bonds. My uncle owned a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. So he was one of the original thousand members of the exchange. I, I own shares from a very young age. And today I own almost no stock. And the reason for that is when I was an officer of a public company, listening to our CEO lie to the analysts, lie to Wall Street, and I'm going, man, those poor investors, like they have no control. And is this the only boardroom in America where this is going on? The small investor has no control. I mean, the market's trading at 20, 22 times earnings. That's crazy in terms of a multiple. You know, if I said to you, I'm going to give you your money back out of, out of dividends. If I distribute 100% of the cash, I'll give you your money back in 22 years. Are you lining up for that investment? I don't think people even know what that means. I, I, I think most people don't understand the stock market, don't understand dividends, don't understand the companies they're investing in, and have enormous faith and trust in others. That's the biggest problem that I see with investors in general and definitely new investors is a blind faith and trust in people and companies who don't deserve that that trust because they haven't proven in the past <laughs> to honor the individual investor. It's the shareholder, you know, it's the it's the cream at the top that gets gets the good deals and the rest get kind of the leftovers if there are any. I do just want to say that last conference you gave me some advice I didn't take and I wish I had, but I, it was a learning lesson. Uh, you had mentioned that it's very difficult to invest in a startup. And, and that, you know, people should invest in companies that have proven themselves. Well, we tried to invest in a startup, and you were absolutely right. There's a lot that goes into running a business. And uh, and you may have the best idea in the world, but to put together the team to execute is a whole nother thing. So I thought that was great advice. And I hope others who say, hey, I want to be involved in the next Snapchat or whatever, I want that big IPO, that they understand. I hope you do a show on that, because you were right. Well, thank you for that. You know, when I encounter young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs, I ask always three questions. The first question I ask is, what business problem are you solving? And oftentimes they have a very hard time articulating what that problem is. They'll talk about their technology and how great it is, but they can't really articulate what problem they're solving. That's question number one. Question number two is, are they willing to spend money to have that problem solved? And I often don't get a crisp answer to that. And then the third question is, if the answer is yes to the, the first two, are they willing to buy it from you? And unless you get a, a really strong affirmative answer to all three of those questions, you're not going to succeed. 
you know so th that's why the the idea of investing in a business that already has proven track record with customers and revenue and then use that money from that business to fund your startup as a product line extension or to move into an adjacent space but you're essentially leveraging that existing food chain a very very powerful way to build a business in your your chances of success go up by a factor of four easily easily yeah very good. i mean rich and i have been building our business for over 10 years and and the hardest part it's not the business idea real estate's fantastic you know you you can invest in a hard asset uh, so it, it, it's not our concept it's the leadership that is not easy for everybody it takes incredible people skills so it's taken us 10 years to get to a place where we just have a most amazing team and we have leaders within that team that know how to manage others but uh, you know most people don't have that when starting out they don't have that kind of business experience so I always look at the leadership of the team whether you're investing in real estate or in a business great wisdom well as always, Kathy, great to connect again and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kathy Fetke as much as I did. Now, Kathy and her husband, Rich, run the Real Wealth Network, and you can reach them at realwealthnetwork.com. They also run the Real Wealth Show podcast, where they interview real estate investors from around the country, and they also showcase very specific market data on select markets across the country. In the meantime, have a spectacular day, make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.